0: Hey, Velocity Church. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads, dads dads-to-be, and father figures. We're here to celebrate you, and we're here to receive from God today, and we have a special treat in store. You know, we kicked off this series last week called Summer Block Party, where it's all about letting the joy that's on the inside come across on the outside. And we're going to continue with that with a good friend of mine, Adam Bush. Now, Adam and I have been friends since all the way back in college, that long ago, 20 years ago. And he's a church kid, son of a pastor, a ministry guy, but he's also a comedian. He's been with us before at our team Christmas party. He's most recently coming off tour. He's open for Mike Berbiglia He's a funny guy, but you are gonna get a message today. You're gonna get a sermon, but you're gonna get more than a message. You're gonna laugh, you're gonna have fun. And I know you're gonna receive from God some things that can only come through laughter. Scripture says a merry heart is good like medicine. So just understand that you are going to get some healing to some places through what God imparts through Adam today. So would you do me a favor and put your hands together for my friend, Adam Bush?
1: Hey, all right, Velocity, how are you guys doing tonight? Make some noise. Come on, make some noise. That's funny. I accidentally said tonight I'm so used to performing in the evening don't do a lot of comedy shows at 11 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I love comedy. I remember the first joke I ever told publicly. I was in high school and uh, my teacher said, Adam, read the next definition in the book. And so I read circumference, the distance around something, circumference. And then for no reason, I said not to be confused with circumcision. (laughs) It's not a great joke, but to an audience of 14 year olds, it brought the house down. This really popular girl, she leaned over to me and she goes, you're pretty funny, Bush. I lived off that emotionally for a year. The other day, my wife said, only a year because you're 40 years old and you're still talking about it. (laughs) I I didn't tell the story in the last set. I'm 40. I know that I look a little younger, a little shorter. I'm not just young looking. I'm also very weak. Before the pandemic, I got asked to be a pallbearer at a funeral. And here's something they don't tell you. Dead people are incredibly heavy. We're going to the graveside, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to drop my corner. This old lady over here, she goes, it Looks like that little guy's really struggling. The only, re- only reason I know she said that is because, unbeknownst to her, she whispered it to my wife. My wife leaned over and she goes, He really is. Yeah. It's good to be here. I will say, all that stuff that Pastor Justin said, uh, it's all a lie. Uh, we've never met. <laughs> My favorite thing about, uh, my favorite story that I like to tell about Pastor Justin, when we worked at the airport together, and um, uh, I was his boss, just sidebar, so, (laughs) but he paid me today, so I think the joke's on me. (laughs) My favorite story to tell about him is uh, he and Pastor Marissa, they weren't, uh, they were dating at the time, and he said, hey, my girlfriend Marissa, she's coming into town, you want to go up to the airport and meet her with me? Which, by the way, that's just weird. (laughs) Like, you haven't seen your girlfriend in a year, and you're like, I'm going to bring a friend. (laughs) But I remember we went to meet her and he was wearing wooden shoes. Not kind of like wooden shoes, shoes made out of wood. I remember seeing him and meeting Marissa and being like, I feel like you could do better. No, but uh, man, I'm so thankful you to... to still have a relationship with them. You know, when you're younger, I mean, this is 20, 25 years ago, you don't really know who you're going to have a relationship with, you know, years later. And I didn't plan or, you know, want this relationship, but um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But, you know, uh, I am so thankful for what he's doing. I remember whenever he told me, 11 plus years ago, he's like, I'm going to plant a church. And I said, what's going on now? And he's like, I work at Swans. (laughs) And so he'd get up like super early and do that whole full-time job before he, you know, would get. So he'd have enough time to work on the church the rest of the day. And I remember thinking, man, that's early. I hope these people are worth it. (laughs) You're worth it. You're worth it. Yeah. But I I love it. And I just, you know, any church that I get to go to, um, and I've been traveling for the last three weeks, any church I get to go to where uh, I just have so much respect for the pastor, the pastors, and um, any pastors that are willing to get their hands dirty and do the hard work of reaching people for Jesus. I'm a big fan. So I think you guys got awesome pastors here. I'm a big fan. Big fan. I'm a church guy myself. Fifteen years I worked at a church. Uh, uh, my home church is Church on the Move. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's founded by uh, Pastor Willie George, who, if you watch the Gospel Bill show, that, that's, uh, you know, he did that. And uh, that, the last service, somebody was like, "Woo!" And I thought, that's a kid who wasn't allowed to watch Nickelodeon when they were. <laughs> Their parents were like, there's only two shows that exist, Gospel Bill and Tales." They get older and they're like, there are other stations. <laughs> Um but yeah I started working uh in 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 ministry because my parents my parents growing up were traveling children's evangelists which sounds creepy <laughs> because it is creepy no, it was awesome. We would we would travel the country, and my parents would put on uh, rallies at churches uh, for you know sometimes hundreds, even thousands of kids and families. I have a picture of my dad teaching. I think it's it's right up here. That's a picture of my dad, and he's he's teaching on the verse uh, Galatians three thirteen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, sin, sickness, death, that being part of the curse. And uh, in this sketch, um, the devil, uh, some devil hands there, uh, is uh, delivering a package, you know, of sickness, sin, and death, and what's fun is um, my mom is doing those devil hands. So I like to say this is my favorite picture of my folks. (laughs) But um, uh, we would, we would travel the country and go to churches. We did that for years. By the time I was six, we had been to every state in the continental US. My mom said one time we were driving down the highway and I, I was like three, I yelled from the back of the van, mom, you passed our house. It was a holiday inn. That sort of just sad. <laughs> uh, I have a picture of, of me with a puppet here, if you guys will pull that up. Um, this is like a marketing piece that uh, uh, my parents took to, uh, you, you know, just like make flyers. You know, it was back in the day. They'd send out flyers to, to churches and stuff to have us, you know, have them come in and speak. And so that's a picture from when I'm three. And then uh, fast forward 25 years, and here's a picture of me at like 28. Uh, another, yeah, right there. So... Not a lot changed, <laughs> but I got in the children's ministry when I was about 25 years old. In fact, that's where I met my wife. You guys want to put up a, put up a picture of my family. Um, this, is my, uh, this, is my, this is my wife, uh, Diana. We call her Di, and that's our kid, Luna. And uh, my wife and I, we met actually working in children's ministry together, she was my intern. <laughs> that joke really hits different these days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, we've been married for going on 12 years. She's awesome. I love her. She's my best friend. And that's our kid, Luna. I love Luna I, uh, so much. And uh, it actually makes me uh, really uh, teary-eyed to, to see that picture because I've, I've been on the road for like three weeks. I, today is the last stop on my tour. So I get to, after this, I get to go home and see my family. So I think, thank you. I think, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up in about five minutes. So <laughs> you're like, that guy was good, but it was short. Um, which, by the way, they put in my room last night, they put that picture in a, in a frame in my hotel room, and I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. And then a second later, I was like, but kind of creepy. <laughs> I asked Luna, I said, hey, Lou, I'm doing this uh, thing at a church. Can I take a picture of you? And she said, hold on, Dad. And she went and came back ready for the picture, and here's the picture that I
0: got.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that kiddo. I feel like she's going to be in show business, maybe. I'm not sure quite the extrovert. But yeah, my, um, I, I, so I started working in children's ministry when I was about 25, about 15 years ago. And I love kids ministry so much. And uh, I think it's so much better than being a youth pastor because kids love fun, silly things. Like they love jokes about farts, right? Yeah. And like teenagers, they just smell like one big fart. So I'm not as interested in that. Uh, my, my favorite story, this teenager over here just shook his head like this. Like, do you smell like a fart? I don't are you, his, are you his parents? You concur. <laughs> That's okay. I'll do an altar call at the end. We'll get him saved. My favorite, my, One of my favorite stories to tell about children's ministry is we were doing a costume contest one time and, and we're having a regular service and, and uh, my friend is leading worship and there's this, if you've never been around kids worshiping God, it's just the sweetest thing. And so there's this little eight-year-old on the front row and he's just singing his guts out, worshiping Jesus, hands lifted as high as he can, wearing a full-on werewolf mask. <laughs> I'm sure he was thinking just like, I love Jesus, but this costume is cool. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, but I love children's ministry. I did that for about I worked at a church for about 15 years and I just left um to uh, pursue writing and stand-up comedy. I write up te- I write television shows and and do this sort of thing and um I'll tell you how I got into comedy. Uh when I was in children's ministry, I I, I predominantly uh wrote sketches and uh made created puppet characters and did sketches with my friends who worked in ministry with me and so I, I just really wanted to be real good, you know, I just wanted to be a professional and learn how, like, learn storytelling It's when I really started getting into, like, uh, f- uh, following movies and learning how they were made and I started following a lot of stand-up comedians and I started listening to the stand-up comedian named Mike Birbiglia. Mike's got a bit of a different style to him. He's not as much like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld where he does, like, setup up and, and punchlines, but instead he tells l- longer stories that are pretty vulnerable and personal. The first time I ever heard him was on this radio show that I love called This American Life, where they tell stories. Yeah, you, you, thank you. And uh, <laughs> all right, I'm out. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's hosted by this guy, Ira Glass, who's an amazing storyteller. And I just, I just, I, w- I was, I was in. And so with Mike's stories and his comedy, I just started following it. Um, I, I, every time he had a special, I'd watch it or listen to it, any movie, anything like that. So fast forward to 2017, and um, Mike Birbiglia is doing a one-man show on Broadway about having a kid, and he gets on The Tonight Show, and he says, I'm, I'm holding a contest to find my understudy. Like, it's kind of a joke, right? Like, you can't have an understudy for your one-man show. Like, nobody's going to appreciate it if they're like, now presenting Mike Birbiglia as the new one, someone different. Like, it's not going to be good, <laughs> But he said, hey, uh, enter the contest by doing one of my old bits, post it on Instagram. I'm going to pick my favorite one, and you're going you're gonna to come. You're going to open for me on Broadway. I remember thinking, like, man, I've just really been setting myself up for that. I, I, I think I could do this. And so my wife helped me make a video. We posted it on Instagram, and that was that. And the day that uh, they were supposed to announce the winner um, – well, I should say before that, uh, once I posted the video, uh, my friends had started to learn about it, and this, I was at this party, and this girl came up to me, who I respect, and, and she, said, she said, hey, what's the deal with this contest that you entered? And I was, like, I was just like, oh, yeah, and I explained like, the concept, and she looked at me, and she goes, that's a weird idea for a contest. And then she just <laughs> walked away. Like, it's not, a, it's not a criticism, but it's not a compliment. It's like when somebody sees you, and they're like, you got a haircut, but then that's it. That's a weird idea for a contest. That's what she said. But what I heard was, you couldn't actually do this, right? It's actually an insecurity I've dealt with my whole life, and it goes back to when I was a kid. I grew up in Louisiana, and um, I had a group of friends, Rob, Ben, Clayton, Wade, and Luke. And uh, I I mentioned their names, not so you'll remember them, but so you know that we didn't call each other by, you know, our given names. Like, we had nicknames for each other. Like Luke was a very doughy individual, so we called him Chewy. <laughs> Rob was very sloppy, so we called him sloppy. <laughs> and I, before I had braces, had a big gap in my teeth, and I have uh, abnormally large hands that they would always make fun of. And so they, uh, my friends affectionately nicknamed me Gappy McBig Hands, which is a terrible nickname. That's way too long. We got in lots of trouble together, you know, when my, one of the biggest stories that we did was when we were young, my uncle had a firework stand, and uh, he had, during firework season, he put a, instead of tearing it down and setting it up every day, he put a little camper next to it, and he would sleep in the camper, and we had the idea, we're going to go and make a lot of noise, like we're, like we're criminals, and we're stealing your stuff, and they'll hear it, and he'll come outside and be like, hey, it's just you guys. It's not a very funny prank, by the way. <laughs> So we do that. We, we, take, we get so many fireworks and we load them into my friend, into Rob's car in the trunk. And we shut it loudly. And then we're like yelling, like, we're, a crim- we're criminals. So he'll come out and then, you know, the gig will be up. But he doesn't come out. And upon further inspection, he's not in there. The camper is just a deterrent. And so like, he's not going to even know that we took him. And so Rob looked at me and he's like, well, we've already loaded the fireworks. We would be ridiculous to put them back. So in an effort to pretend to be criminals, we became criminals. (laughs) And uh, we took him to his house and uh, 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 we had all the fireworks here and Rob had a Roman candle and he lit it and he threw it across the street. But when it landed, it landed facing us and the rest of the fireworks. Still to this day, it's the best fireworks show I ever saw. And it was free. (laughs) But, you know, stories like that, experiences like that. I mean, our whole adolescence, we did stuff like that. And so when we were older and still friends, like we were, we were so tight that we were there for the tough times, you know. Like when my friend's parents got a divorce or when one of them had a kid before they, before they got married and they were still in high school. Or last summer, Rob calls me and, he's, and his dad had cancer and he, he says, uh, my, my dad, he's, we're at the end. So I was on tour and so I, I rerouted my flights and, and I get to, I, I flew in and drove up to the funeral literally right as it was starting. And, and when, I, when I walked up, Rob was leading everybody in amazing grace to get the whole thing started. And I stepped up next to my friend Wade and I pulled out my phone to take a video of this incredible moment. And, and keep in mind, this is the first time the six of us have been together in 25 years. And so I pull out my phone, and I'm taking a video of of Rob and my friend Wade. He leans over. And before he even says hi to me or good to see you or gives me a hug, he just whispers in my ear, must be pretty hard using that phone with those gigantic fingers. (laughs) There was this guy that wasn't in the group, but he was around us sometimes named Brandon, and Brandon didn't like me. Brandon was older. And uh, he just, he was so much older and I was younger and little and he he just would make fun of me. Every time I'd come around, he would he would say the same thing. He would always go just like this. He would, he would look at me and he would go, who brought the kid?
0: Right?
1: Like at first I didn't think about it, but just like he kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And, and honestly, it got to a point, I didn't hear who brought the kid anymore. I, I kind of heard the underlying meaning of it and that was, we don't want you around here. You're not worthy to be here. It's interesting how like an insecurity like that will really creep into the rest of your life. You know, I heard John Eldridge in a book. I heard him. I read in a book, uh, Waking the Dead one time, he, he talked about a similar story where an eight-year-old on his baseball team said something to him in a similar way. And it, it developed this insecurity in him that for the rest of his life, he thought about it and he said, isn't it interesting that the words of an eight-year-old can dictate our decisions for the rest of our lives? And who brought the kid? Oh, man, that's popped up in so many situations. The biggest one being when, when one time my boss telling me, um, Adam, you'll never be a leader. I didn't hear that. You know what I heard? Who brought the kid? You're not good enough. And so when this person said this to me when I had, uh, entered the contest, when the person said to me about the berbiglia thing, uh, that's a weird idea for contest, and then no encouragement, all I heard was, here it is again. Who brought the kid? Why would I think I could do this? So the deadline for when they're going to announce the winner of the contest, it comes. And Mike Birbiglia gets online and he says, we've had such an overwhelming response to the contest. We're extending the deadline. Right? Yeah, that's what he said. But what I heard was, Adam, you couldn't actually do this. Right? So the new deadline came and it left and, 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 and that was that friends would ask me, like, did you ever hear back from the contest? And I'm like, no, but it was cool to enter. And I was honestly lying. I was kind of embarrassed, you know. Well, a week later, I'm at work and uh, my phone vibrates. It's an Instagram notification. And it says, Mike Berbiglia is now following you on Instagram. And I said to my friend, huh, that's weird. Mike Brubigley is following me on Instagram, probably following everybody who entered the contest, right? And then a moment later, I I get another notification, but this time it's a direct message from him. And he says, hey, Adam, guess what? Question mark. (laughs) And then those three little dots popped up for what felt like a freaking eternity. And then two words, you won. <laughs> That's how I felt. I'll be honest, I lost my ever loving mind. I started running and jumping and screaming in happiness. We were on the third floor of work. Everyone from the second floor came up and said, What's going on? Is somebody hurt? And somebody's like, Adam's gonna be on Broadway. And they're like, That's different than what we thought. Five days later, we're in the lobby of the Court Theater, uh, and the producers are um, uh, telling us how the night's going to go. The door behind me opens up, and in walks the host of This American Life, my favorite radio show, Ira Glass, right? My favorite storyteller. It's like if, uh, dad, sir, what do you do for a living? Finance director for the city. Yeah, so it's like if you met your favorite finance director for the city. (laughs) It's not my first rodeo, sir. (laughs) Apparently, Ira Glass is going to introduce me for the night. And so we go inside and we're going through rehearsal and I'm standing backstage and Ira's on the, on the stage, this 1100 seat auditorium. And, and I'm thinking to myself, if I get any one-on-one time with these guys, I'm just gonna ask them, why did you pick me? And in that moment, Ira Glass turned around to me and he said, Adam, this is the moment where I'm going to say why we picked you. And I thought to myself, holy crap, I think Ira Glass can read my mind. <laughs> he said, the reason we picked you is because when we saw your video, we thought to ourselves, oh, this guy could actually do this. Yeah. Wow. And I thought to myself, I wonder if our glass nose I just poop my pants. <laughs> My biggest fear of the night is that the audience was not going to be on my side, that they've traveled from all over the world for a Broadway show to see their favorite comedian, but then they sit down to find out. But first, here's a kid from Tulsa, Oklahoma, whose only experience ever doing stand-up is one time he did a sketch at a kid's camp with a puppet. (laughs) Right before I'm going to go on stage, Mike Rubiglia walks up to me and he goes, Hey, Adam, just so you know, you can't mess this up, because whatever you do, That's the show, and it's going to be great. And I looked at Mike, and I thought to myself, dang it, Mike, I just pooped my pants again. (laughs) But I went out there, and we did it, and it was great. And there's, oh, thanks. You know, there's a couple of things that I think about in regards to just like the themes of that experience, right? Because it's like a once-in-a-lifetime theme. Like the first one is just that, like if my first time ever doing stand-up is just off Times Square on Broadway opening up, opening up for Mike Birbiglia, then I feel like professionally my career is going backwards. <laughs> that joke works a lot better whenever the uh, comedy club is a dump. This is a pretty nice place. <laughs> But I think a lot about that insecurity that I felt, you know. Yeah, you have them too, you know. If 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 I just say like, where was the moment where somebody said something to you in your adolescence that you have carried with you your entire life? Right now you're thinking about it. You don't have to think for very long. It was a parent, a relative, a friend, something that has dictated many of your decisions your entire life. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does that come from? And you could say, well, it comes from these people, hurting people, hurt people. And that is true, but it originates with the enemy, right? I mean, think about it. In John, when, when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, the devil is the father of lies. Like, you want to see his true character? It's not the truth. He's a liar. There's only one battlefield for the enemy, and that's in your mind, Right. So uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians when he talks about putting on the whole armor of God it's so that you can defend yourself against the lies of the enemy instead of knowing what your heavenly father thinks about you. Right. So what does Jesus do? Jesus pops in and he's got a message. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he says in John, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. So what does that really mean? Everything you're learning from me, everything that I'm modeling, everything in scripture, that's what the father is about. There's a. Um, uh, uh, in addition to be a comedian, I write television shows for a living. And when you're learning storytelling, you, you learn that there are three fears that everybody deals with. So every character is going to deal with one of these three fears. Um, <laughs> the first one is a fear of failure, right? I think we can all identify with that, whether it has to do with your job or it has to do with your relationships, or maybe it has to do with an addiction that you can't get past. The second one is a fear of abandonment. And the third one is a fear of belonging, right? And so whatever insecurity you're dealing with, including mine, they're going to fall into one of these three categories. So everything that Jesus is about is about combating that message from the enemy to give you what your heavenly father thinks about you, which is the opposite, right? When you think about failure, like a couple of scriptures that come to mind. uh, You you look at Psalms, uh, stand not in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Um, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he will meditate day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the living water. Whatever he puts his hand to will prosper. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Or you just think about belonging or abandonment. I mean, the quintessential verse is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world so much that he gave up on us. That's not what it says. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. That scripture... I know it's easy to just kind of put it to the side because it's so popular, but that scripture is about adoption. And he's saying, you know what? Because of your sin, I could have given up on you, but instead I'm playing the long game here. I'm going to send the only person who can save your soul so that you can come back and be my kid. Oh, I love that. That's what Jesus came to say. And what is so beautiful about that message, I was I was listening to this recently on a, a kind of a scientific article where they were saying, whenever you want to um, create a new uh, I, I thought or pathway in your mind, think of it like an actual path. Like you can't just say, I'm not going to think about that insecurity anymore. You have to replace it with something else. And so they likened it to uh, clearing a path in the woods. And so if you were to clear a path in the woods, you're going to go through with a machete or some sort of electric cutter, and you're going to cut all the way to the end, and you're going to go back to the beginning, and it's not going to be that clear right? Especially if it's been overgrown. So you do it again and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again until finally you're walking that path and you might even not remember just like you're not having to think about the direction you were going. It just becomes second nature. It's like if any of you guys aren't from here and you, you know, you go back to visit your folks or your relatives or whatever, there was a point where you had to get on Google and you had to see where you were going. And now it's just, you barely even have to think about it, right? I'm going go left at subway. I don't know where it's at, but it's there. And so I think, and this really goes back to my children's ministry days, I think that uh, it would be, it's really helpful to think about concrete ways that you and I can create a new path so that that insecurity goes away and what your Heavenly Father, today on Father's Day, thinks about you. So I like, I like jokes, I think they're fun, but I'm going to give you, and I, I heard this from somebody else, I'm going to give you very quickly five different ways you can create a new path. The number one is read the Bible. Read the Bible and meditate. Uh, The first thing I'll say is reading the Bible is hard. So if you're in this room and you're like, I've never really gotten into it, join the stinking club. (laughs) New King James version, pretty hard to understand. All right. But thankfully, that's why God has given us tools to be able to understand the Bible in a real way. And I'm talking about uh, new translations, different translations that either, and, and you can look this up online, but translations that translate word by word or passage by passage. That's a little bit more what Eugene Peterson did with the message translation or the passion translation, helping you understand. And, and, and one thing I'll say, you'll find the more you read those, the more the other translations are going to be, begin to you know, open up for you, right? That's why there are commentaries. If you're on Bible Gateway or maybe you use a Logos app, you can get on there. You can read the scripture, but then you can read what someone who is smarter than all of us, how, what they had to say about it. So you can really go back and forth and begin to understand what the word says and meditating. Jo- Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night. Do everything you can to observe it. Then your way will be prosperous. Then you'll have great success. What he's saying is uh, to mutter on the scripture. Cows chew their cud. We've heard that before. Uh, the reason they do that is because they when they eat when they eat their food, they get nutrients from it. They it's disgusting, but they swallow it, but then they spit it back up and they, they chew it again to get more nutrients. That's what muttering, meditating on the word of God is. It's it's finding finding scriptures, and, and I'm I'm careful to say a scripture because we don't want to take it out of context. Read the whole chapter, understand what God is saying to the people he wrote it to and to you. Take that passage, memorize it, and then say it a million times. A million times. When you're in the car. This is a wonderful thing as a comedian. I I drove nine hours to get here yesterday. It's a very long drive. Airlines. Sorry, that was a little soapbox. You're in the car. You're driving to work. You're just saying it over and over. Lord, help reveal to me what this means for me. What did you want me to know? Reading the word, reading good books. What is a, what is a good book? Uh, a, a, a book by a trusted author who is Jesus-centered. I can't stress that enough. Is Jesus-centered, smarter than all of us, who can break down things in ways that you can understand. I've been a Christ follower for, I don't know, 35 years, I guess. And uh, I'm not learning anything new. But I am learning new ways to think about it. And that's what, that's what so many of us are doing. So to read a good book is to help us understand that. Uh, number three, actually, I can't remember the order I did. What's the, what's the third one? Teachers. It's exactly what you're doing here. You're part of a church where you have an excellent teacher who is dedicated to the word. Every time you're here, it's not just for community, although that is incredibly important. Otherwise, God wouldn't have made the church. But teachers who point you to Jesus. And I can't stress that enough, pointing you to Jesus, that are explaining the word in the way that it was meant to be said. But every time you listen to Pastor Justin or Pastor Marissa, you are hearing what God wants you to hear. What's the fourth one? Podcast. What an incredible day and age. When I was a kid, my dad, would he go to a big conference or whatever, and he'd get like a tape series of four tapes. And like, if we lost one of those tapes, Oh, man. You know, you remember they would pass them around the church or whatever. Like if you're like, it's not like that today. Today, I I just, I have, I'm going to drive home today. I have too many messages that I could possibly listen to. So I say you pick some of the pastors that you wouldn't be able to hear if this was 20 years ago, who you trust, who the people around you that you trust, Who they trust, and you're able to listen to their perspective of what the word is saying for you. And there's a fifth one, and I can't remember it. A mentor. I can't stress this one enough. Um, Believe in God for a mentor or mentors, people who who have gone before you, who are older, who maybe have parts of their life that you really would like to emulate. I've got one mentor in my life. He's got five grown kids, a thousand grandchildren, (laughs) and they're all serving Jesus. I have one kid who's three, and that is the future that I want. Not only that they're serving Jesus, but his kids actually like him. (laughs) I would like my daughter to love being around me. When you do these things, what you're doing is you're, you're creating a new path. Instead of believing the lies and the insecurities that the people around you have spoken into you, you are instead... Understanding what your heavenly father thinks about you and how he feels about you. My father was a great man. He was a pastor. Um, pastor Justin knew him. He was a teacher at our Bible school. And uh, he went to be with the Lord 13 years ago. When I, uh, when I was about 24, I uh, got invited to go on a trip to London And I was really excited because it was my first trip to ever go fly internationally. And I put my my backpack on the conveyor belt at the airport and it got flagged. The TSA agent, he reached inside and uh, he found a knife. Immediately, my mind went back to a year earlier when a friend of mine gave me that knife as a gift. I'm not really a knife kind of guy, so I threw it in my bag, threw my bag in the back of the closet and forgot about it. And I just happened to grab that bag for the trip. And I didn't check the front pocket. Here's the thing. It wasn't just a knife. It was a switchblade. Here's a fun fact for you. It's illegal to carry a switchblade in the state of Oklahoma. Here's another fun fact. It's a federal offense to take one into a federal building. Like an airport. So the, uh, the officer, he took me down to this room in the basement was one single chair in there, no windows. He shut the door and left me there for eight hours. Eventually the door opens up and uh, this time it's not the TSA agent, it's a police officer. I stand up and he looks at me and he goes, Mr. Bush, you're under arrest. I feel like we've gotten to know each other here today. It's okay to be honest. In that moment, I cried like a little girl. It was like ugly tears. Like the the officer, he was so kind. He was like, where were you headed? And I was like, I was going to London. We get to the county jail and like I'm a fish out of water. Everybody's looking at me. It looks like they want to punch me in the face. They, uh, They took everything out of my pockets. They took my belt, my shoelaces, my dignity. They put cuffs around my ankles as if these little legs are going to be able to make a run for it. And then, uh, and this is my proudest moment, they took this photo. (laughs) That kid's having a hard time. (laughs) They sat me in this waiting room, and all there was was a line of phones. And they said, the only reason you can get up is to go make a phone call. And I wanted to call someone, but I didn't have my cell phone on me, so I couldn't remember anybody's number. I I did remember the Papa John's delivery number, but I didn't think that would be a good idea. The uh, officer, she called my name and she said, you want a blanket and a pillow? And I was like, what, what for? Am I not getting out of here today? And she's like, you're here for the whole weekend. And I remember thinking, like, what is happening? This was an accident. I don't do this. I don't go to jail. I can go to church. <laughs> they started calling people's names and, and every time they called someone's name, they'd go this way to their cell. But when they called th- my name, they told me to go that way. So I walk through this door and I'm immediately in this small room, and um, there's a, a lady behind a, a kind of a cage, and she hands me an envelope of all my stuff, and then the door behind me buzzes open. And I open the door, and there's my father. What I didn't know is that while I was inside in my mess, he was outside working on my behalf. And he stood up and he wasn't mad. He didn't yell at me. He didn't tell me what a disappointment I was. He just opened his arms and he gave me a big hug. And then he said the thing that I think every good father should say when they bust their son out of the clink He said, uh, you want to go to Wendy's? (laughs) Obviously, my father passing, there's a few days that go by that I don't think about that story. For a couple of reasons, it just reminds me I had a great dad. But then what my heavenly father did for me in giving me a picture of how he feels about me. I didn't tell this story in the last service, but I think it's important to know that your Heavenly Father loves you so much that this relationship for him, it's very personal, right? We see the story of Mary and Martha, and if you really read that story, when Lazarus died, the way Jesus responds to Mary is different than the way he responds to Martha. One he corrects, the other he consoles, and the reason is because Jesus has not made these cookie-cutter robots. Or God has not made these cookie cutter robots uh, out of humanity, but he made each one of us individual to care just specifically about the things we care about. And he knows us, he knows us. And honestly that story about my father, it would be enough to just remind me of what my heavenly father thinks about me. But four years ago, when um, my wife and I were pregnant with we're expecting Luna, I was sitting in my apartment, on the couch, I was by myself and I was talking to God and I said, Lord, I don't really know how heaven works but like, I don't know if dad can see me. You know, there are scriptures in the word that talk about, you know, a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. If they're cheering us on, they got to know something about us. I don't know if he can like see me all the time or Maybe he just sees the highlights. But would you tell me? Would you tell him he's gonna be a grandfather? And that was it. A couple of weeks later, I'm at church where I was working, and um I was about to go on stage uh, to do a, kind of a fun moment right before our founding pastor came out to preach. And right before I go out there and our, our church is like, I don't know, it's like 10,000 people. There's a lot of people in the room. <laughs> right before I'm about to go out on stage, uh, my pastor, oh man, I've never told this story on stage before. My pastor says, Adam, he's got this big, booming voice that'll make you get right with God. (laughs) And I go, I, I was like, yes, sir. Expecting him to tell me something like, hey, don't forget to do this or whatever. He looks at me. And he says, the spirit of God just spoke to me. And he told me to tell you. He sees the highlights. And then I went on stage to do a funny moment. (laughs) I got off stage as quickly as I could. And I went to the bathroom and I just cried. There weren't tears of sadness. They were tears of gratefulness. Because there were a couple of things about that moment that were really personal. My pastor, he knew my father, so that was special. Secondly, I'm a little cynical when it comes to people coming to me and saying, God told me this thing. But this man, my pastor, He's one of those mentors that I've had so much respect for that. I know that I know that I know he is about Jesus. He doesn't take it lightly to speak something like that into my life. And then the third was the language that he used. How could he know? That's what I said. So Father's Day, this is what I want to leave you with. Your heavenly father, and no matter what kind of relationship you had with your earthly father, whether it was good or bad or distant or tumultuous or you you didn't know your biological father and you have somebody else or your mom is your dad or whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, I can't stress this enough. Your heavenly fathers he is not mad at you. He does not think you are a has-been. He does not think you're a screw-up. He created you. He loved you then. He loves you today. He will love you forever. And all he's looking for is that moment where you come to him. He will not yell at you or make you feel bad. He will open his arms and give you the greatest personal moment he possibly can. And then who knows, maybe he'll take you to Wendy's.